Hello and welcome to Comedy in a Nutshell. You know, when some people think of comedy, they might think of Live at the Apollo or Mock the Week. But when I think of comedy, I think of thousands of comedians bringing laughter to dank, musty pub function rooms nationwide and wonder, does comedy mean the same thing to them as it does to me? In this podcast, I hope to find out. I love talking to people in comedy about comedy. If you'd like to hear what they have to say as much as I do, then please like, subscribe, rate, review and share the podcast. Thank you. My guest this episode is a singer, songwriter and stand-up comedian who's one of the most joyous comics I've seen perform. He's a rising talent, rapidly making his name on the comedy scene and it's a definite one to watch. It's stand-up comedian, Roman Harris. Hey, bud. Hey, how you doing? I'm okay, man. How are you? Good, really good. If you're happy, we'll crack on. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Let me get comfy. <laughs> All right. So let's go back to the early days then. So when you were growing up, was comedy uh, an influence on life? Mm, no, we, growing up, we didn't really have much uh, comedy playing in the house, to be fair. There wasn't much stand-up that we ever really got involved in. Yeah. To be fair, I think uh, the first time I actually really got into watching stand-up comedy, I was in my teens. Mm. And... That was when, so when I was 10 years old, I left the UK and I went to live in a country called Guyana, mm -hmm. which is in South America. And there's a lot of American influence in Guyana. Right. And so we would get a lot of TV from the States. Mm -hmm. And that's when I would see like Deaf Comedy Jam. That's when I watched like uh, the Kings of Comedy. Yeah. That's where I learned about comedians like Steve Harvey, Cedric the Entertainer, um, Bernie Mac, you know, yeah. D.L. Hewley, um, Martin Lawrence. I mean, the list goes on, you know, and uh, that was around the first time that I actually got into watching stand up comedy. Yeah. And at the time, I, I didn't even know. I remember seeing that. I remember seeing Eddie Murphy movies like Beverly Hills Cop and things like that. But. I didn't even know Eddie Murphy was a stand-up comedian. Yeah. I didn't even know that's where he started his trade. So, you know, I was in my twenties before I saw like um, Delirious or Raw, yeah, or any of those shows, um, those stand-up comedy shows. So, yeah, in a nutshell, uh, growing up as a youngster, there wasn't a lot of stand-up comedy mm. on the TV uh, in in the house. Uh, more like just comedy shows, maybe the Fresh Prince of Bel Air and stuff yeah. like that. But uh, but no, not really stand up. Yeah. But I always loved it from a young age. I think it was just always a it was magical to me to see people just talking and being able to kind of like create so much laughter. Yeah. In others, I, I it's like yeah, it's like a magic trick, you know. Yeah. So when did it start to influence you and and make you feel like you could be a comedian yourself? Um, I feel like uh. So the influence of comedy was always there in my life, mm. for, like from those teenage years onwards. Yeah, there was always a, an appreciation and a love for it, and uh, but never, not really a desire to do it. Right, just an appreciation of it and a wonder about it. Mm. And I think my journey into comedy really stemmed from wondering if I could do it. Right, like wondering if if I actually had the ability to make other people laugh, you know, to take a topic or an idea mm. or, you know, just, just a thought and craft something that could generate laughter from other people. So it was, it was a, a lot later in my life. I mean, I was, it was, was like 20, 2018, mm -hmm. I back in 2018, that was the first time I thought, okay, 
I'm going to try this like a, as a bucket list type thing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's what it was. It was like, I'm going to, I did a six week course, yeah. uh, which looking back on it, I think most people who do courses, they look back on the course and they realize the course, it can help you, but nothing really does it for you in comedy, like going out and gigging. Yeah. You just have to get on stage. You have to just continually keep getting on stage. Mm -hmm. But the course did give me the incentive and the will to actually try to write something material-wise. So I did this six-week course with um, City Academy and Kate Smurfwaite was my tutor. And after the six weeks, you do your showcase. And I don't class the showcase as my first gig. (laughs) <laughs> the gig was not it was set up for you to win like, there's, no, there's no way you could have lost that yeah. night if someone was on stage they bombed for like 12 minutes but you they didn't kick the person <laughs> off so you can't lose you know what I mean that's not a real gig uh, there's no real stakes there so uh, so yeah so I did that mm. and for me after that gig it was just like yeah I I did it you know I, I've proven to myself that I can do it Yeah, and that was it that was it. I didn't gig again until 2019. Uh, yeah. And then in 2019, that's when I thought, you know what, actually, I actually just want to try and do everything that I love doing. Yeah. You know, life's too short to put limitations on yourself. So that was it. Uh, booked a gig, got back on stage, uh, <laughs> wrote wrote about eight minutes of material in a week. Uh, looking back on it it was more like three minutes of material of me just waffling for the other five Uh, but but yeah and that was it been been doing it since june 2019 that's that was my official start date yeah for me no so what was that first gig then the first gig was at a place in brixton called the ritzy Mm -hmm. and it was a night ran by a comedian his name was Satonye. I forget his surname at this point in time. I want to say Ogan, but uh, he he was doing comedy. He was running a night and I approached him for a spot. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, upstairs at the Ritzy, it was a night called Get Laughs or Die Trying. Yeah. And uh, I remember I was so nervous. I'd prepared, you know, my, 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 my set and uh, he gave me the opportunity to, to, to perform and yeah. And that was it. And it went well. Like, it went well for it being the first proper gig. <laughs> it went well. And some of the jokes that I wrote, I've st- I still say those jokes. Like, there's still some jokes in there that I look back on and I'm like, those are actually quite good. Like, <laughs> you know, like, for a first draft of something, I was like, that was actually quite good. They, they survived to this day, you know? So that was the first, that was the first official gig. And I remember leaving mm. that gig and just being on cloud nine and uh, some of the comedians who were actually at that gig that night, mm. you know, they've gone on to do some really great things. Like um, that night, I remember Darren Griffith yeah. was one of the comics. Mm-hmm. He's now signed, debuting this year in Edinburgh. Yep. Uh, Michael Akadiri was one of the comics. Yep. Yeah, he's signed, debuted last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it feels like for my very first gig, I was. Uh, I was amongst some comedians who, you know, they were they clearly had what it te- what it took, and and they're doing great things now. So, mm. so yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully that will be me in a, a couple of years myself. Who knows? 
Did you have specific influences that kind of, you know, they're the ones that sort of made you think, I can actually do this, I can stand up and I can take the first punt? Um, I mean, I think the, the cliche thing to say would be to, like, you know, name really big comedians that I've admired and, mm. and like, you know, speak about them and how they may have been influential. But the truth is, mm. uh, the, I mean, th- those comedians... You know, like the likes of comedians like Chappelle and Rock and uh, Bill Burr. And, you know, these are people that I had been watching. So, yes, there's influence there. But I think when you're looking to see whether or not something's possible for you, you often look closer to home. Mm. And you think more about the people that are within touching distance that you can actually see on stage at that time, you know? Yeah. Uh, And before I got on stage, I would religiously go to angel comedy and i would uh just just sit there and just watch people you know yeah i just watch the comics to get on stage and i think ah i want to do that i wonder if i can do that and uh some of the comics that i saw at at that time were comics like like ali woods for example i remember the very first time i saw ali woods Mm -hmm. and seeing him on stage it was like okay like he's right there and he's doing it like it's possible yeah. You know, I, I can do this. Uh, and there were a number of comics on the circuit who have now gone on to do great things and, you know, who are signed to lovely agencies. And some, some of those comics, seeing them do it, mm. those were the first people to really inspire me and make me feel like it was possible. And this isn't going to sound really nice, but it's the truth. <laughs> also, watching really bad comedians. Yep. <laughs> like, like, nothing inspires you to do comedy like watching bad comedians yeah. because you you watch it and, you, and you're sitting there and it doesn't matter how nice of a person you are we've all done it where you think if if they can do it yeah i can definitely do this right i i there's but i this is why i say like bad comedians we need you need people to do things badly because it inspires other people to take a punt on themselves. Yeah. Like you, you if everyone did things expertly, then too many of us wouldn't try yeah. because we'd say to ourselves, oh, no, I'll never be able to reach those heights. You need to see both ends of the spectrum. You need to see people achieving greatness. Mm. And you also need to see people who, who aren't great at the thing. And it's not to say that they can't get great because all of us, when we start, none of us start the as the finished article yeah but you still need to see those people at those stages for you to think okay yeah nah i can do this yeah and equally you (laughs) want to see those people get better too you want to see them get better because then if you see them in six months and they're smashing it then you're like oh what did you do oh what you're telling me he just or she just kept working (laughs) they just they just kept doing it and they got better i can't believe this (laughs) and that inspires you to keep going also so it's a twofold thing. You need you need that. So yeah, I think some of the comedians I saw just on the circuit, yeah, uh, they were the ones that really got me up. And uh, Pete Refin Asami, I believe yeah. that's the correct pronunciation of his surname. Mm-hmm. Luke Craig, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. these were guys that I was just watching. You know, Andrew Mensa, uh, Bemi Oladipo. I was going out at, to Comedy Virgins, and these yeah. these people were on the stages doing the thing, mm-hmm. and. I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to do the thing and see where it takes me. <laughs> but now you perform alongside yeah. same, on these same bills as these people that you're naming. So, yeah. I mean, 
yeah what's what's changed between that time the first time you set foot on a stage yeah to now well just i guess the, i guess the biggest thing that's changed is that i've got i've got better you know but, <laughs> uh, which which has enabled me to be on those stages with them but yeah. equally they've got better uh and i i always i still look at these people and um I still respect them for their craft and the work that they put in. And to me, mm. you know, I still remember the guy like like me turning up at Comedy Virgins and sitting down at a table like next to these guys, you know, and, yeah. uh, you know, knowing they'd been going for a while and I just started. And no matter how big or how much more I progress in comedy, mm. I'll always remember those people who were ahead of me. Yeah. I always remember them as the people that I, I looked up to and that encouraged me to get into it. And I think that's also part of the reason why I like talking to new comics mm -hmm. because to some, to someone out there who's just starting in comedy, they might look at me now and think, Oh man, I, someone, someone actually sent me a message <laughs> recently and uh, they sent me a message and it was a screenshot of a mm. message they had received. And the message was basically from someone who wanted to perform at their comedy night. Right. And the message was like, Hey, um, I'd really love a spot at your night. Like, just so you know, I've performed alongside comics such as Roman Harris. And I'm like, I, I laughed out loud. I was, I, was, I was like, I don't know if my name is the name to drop for clout. Right? Uh, but, but at the same time, you know, it made me realize that uh, everyone is someone to somebody. Yeah. You know, everyone is someone to somebody. And that doesn't necessarily have to be in comedy. It could just be in life in general. You know, mm -hmm. like at this very moment, as you and I are talking, mm -hmm. there's someone out there who is thinking either of us or holds us in high regard. And anybody who's listening to this podcast at this very second Mm. there's someone who is either thinking of them or holds them in high regard. Mm. So yeah. it's just that acknowledgement of the fact that, Hey, everyone is someone and everyone is someone to somebody. That's why, that's why I was saying, that's why I like talking to younger comics or comics who are just starting yeah. because I remember when I was just starting, I remember the grind, the bringer gigs, yeah. you know, and I like to think I'm never too far away from those either. Like no matter how much I progress, <laughs> right? I like to just like, keep it in the back of my mind that any day now, I could, I could be right back to needing a bringer. Like that's what I say to myself. Like you better keep working, Roman, because any day now, you'll be back to needing a bringer. So just keep up, you know. Yeah. When you decided that you were going to be a comedian and you started gigging, what expectations did you have? What surprises did you find out? Uh. I had no expectations. Mm. I had no expectations. And and some people might say that's a good thing. Some people might say it's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Some people might say you need to have a goal. You need to have an idea. You need to know what you're working towards. Yeah. But when I started comedy, the only thing that I know I wanted was to get better. Yeah. And for me, I still feel that way. Like the one thing I can, I could look you in your eyes and I could tell you a hundred percent that I know 100% is that I just want to get better. Mm -hmm. And everything that you could dream of in terms of the shows, the tour, specials, mm. whatever else you you can dream of, yeah. that 
will only come if you get better. It's only going to come if you get better. So I didn't really have a game plan or any yeah. like preconceived ideas or expectations. I just knew that the journey would be long mm. and that as long as I could keep seeing progression and seeing myself get better, then yeah. that would be enough to sustain me to keep pushing on, you know? Yeah. Um, surprise wise, mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest surprises that I discovered, and I don't know why, I don't know why I found this to be a surprise because no matter what <laughs> industry you go into, you're going to find this, that there can be uh, politics. There can be a lot of politics and, you know, there can be uh, infighting yeah. and, you know, I just wanted to write jokes. Yeah. I just wanted to write jokes. I still just want to write jokes and I want to go to shows and I want to get on and I want to perform and I want to leave a good impression and I mm -hmm. want people to have a good time. Yeah. And that is my mission statement. Like that maintains uh, my, my desire for comedy, mm. but there are still people who don't like people or people um, who might not necessarily want you on their shows or, and I'm not saying that I've experienced this. I'm right. not saying on a personal level that mm. I've experienced this and maybe I have, but I don't even know about it. That's the, that's the thing, right? Like, you don't always, you don't always know when someone doesn't like you. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's something you have to find out for yourself. Like that, they, no one generally comes and tells you. Um, so, so, you know, there's a possibility that I have experienced it, but I just don't know. Right. But what, I, what I've seen, I've seen other people kind of like um, going through it and dealing with the ups and downs of it. Hmm. And I just try to keep it as simple as possible, man. I just think, write, perform, get better, treat people well, and keep it moving. And yeah. as, as long as I can keep doing that and not get caught up in any of the other stuff, yeah, then um, I think that that just that keeps me sane. You yeah. know, but, I, but that was the biggest surprise. But like I said, I don't know why. I don't know why that that was a surprise. <laughs> you know, talk about naivety. I'm like Bambi. I was like Bambi getting into this. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk Bambi. So starting out on your first gig, I imagine that you know this is all new. So you get nerves and anxiety. I mean, what was that like yeah. starting out, and what is it like now, a few years later? Uh, I, phew, the nerves. Okay, so starting out. The mm. nerves were manageable, but constant, you know, right. like if I knew I had a gig tonight, then the moment I wake up in the morning, it's on my mind. Like I'm, I'm consumed by the idea I'm going to be on stage later this evening. Mm. How's it going to go? Am I going to forget what I'm saying? Are people going to laugh at the joke? Mm. That would be a constant theme running through my head all day long. Right. And then the next step is when you start to get, uh, like a little five minute spot or you get booked at a gig where it's like it's a decent gig you know like you don't have to have a bringer uh yeah. and you want to perform you want to make sure you smash it you want to get invited back yeah so then you put that next level of pressure on you because now the stakes are higher right uh and that continues to happen right so the, the nerves <laughs> the nerves continue to be there it's mm. just that it depends on the room you're going into so now if I'm going to do, you know, if I'm doing like an open mic gig where they've invited me to come along or they said I can come along and do seven or 10 and I don't need a bringer, yeah. I'm pretty cool. 
pretty cool and pretty calm. The stakes are there, but the stakes aren't as high right? because I'm either going to be doing some new material. I know I can play around a bit. Yeah. I know there's not a lot of pressure on me to really get this like on point. <laughs> right? But then if I get invited to do Banana Cabaret or if I have a spot at Top Secret mm. or at um, Big Belly on their weekend show or yeah. if I have a spot at any of those clubs, mm -hmm. then there's a bit more pressure on. You know, you might be able to throw a little bit of new material in the middle, but you better have it fully sandwiched with some gold, <laughs> you know? So there's that, there's that element of it, <laughs> you know? Um, but the funny thing is, mm. as you continue to progress and get better, even those rooms mm. will then become... This, you'll you'll, the feeling you'll have, I believe, will be the same as the feeling that I have now when I go to an open mic night, right? open mic spot, right? I believe that the bigger you get, the more you do, the more work you put in, will be, there will be a time when I'll walk into a top secret and that will feel like a playground. Right. There'll be a time when I can walk into a banana cabaret and have enough tools yeah. in, my, in my box where I know I can play around and everyone's still going to have a great time. Right. And then maybe the next step up beyond that, where the nerves will come in will be theaters, you mm. know, or like, you know, <laughs> so I think there's always that, that feeling of shedding a skin yeah. and then getting comfortable in, in the new skin. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so at the very start though, the nerves would consume me all day. <laughs> they would. Whereas now, I was even I was even conscious of this myself the other day, Mark. I was going, uh, I was going to do a set at the Bill Murray, mm -hmm. and I remember the the very first time I got asked to do a set at the Bill Murray, or that they offered me a, um, a spot. And, you know, it's a, a seven minute spot, and I remember people saying, "You better make sure it's tight. It has to be tight." Like you don't want to, don't want to overrun your time. They don't like that. And I'm, I'm just, you know, <laughs> practicing all day long. I'm like, right. And then I'm going to finish on that. And that's, that's six minutes. Okay. That's on six minutes. So with the laughter, that should take me up to six minutes, 30. And I'm like calculating this like a mad scientist. <laughs> and then the other day I was heading to the Bill Murray to do, to do a spot. And I was, I was driving this. I don't advocate anyone to do this, but I was driving. I had a Sharpie in one hand. And I was just thinking about what I wanted to talk about and putting my set list like on my hand mm. en route to the gig. Oh. Right <laughs> now, now, as well as that being a very bad advocate for driving um, <laughs> or safety on the road. Right. But I think what it displayed, it didn't mean I was taking the gig. It didn't mean I wasn't taking the gig seriously. Yeah. Because I would always take a spot seriously. But what I think it displayed to me was just that I've reached a level of comfort within my material and within my ability to perform Yeah. where I know my, I know my bits, I know what I want to talk about and I can structure a set on the day or, or just before going on. Yeah. And also what I think is so important is being in the room and being able to adapt it. Because if I have a game plan of my set list, hmm but then something happens in the room yeah. and maybe the MC talks to a couple, you know, and it's their first date. Yeah. Then it's like, Oh, well, I didn't, I didn't plan to talk about dating tonight, but you know what? It's appropriate now. 
Yeah. Now, like now <laughs> it's appropriate for me to talk about that bit of material. Yeah. So, you know, what I'll do, I'll just change my set list. And I think that's important. Is it? And that comes with practice. It comes with doing it. It comes with writing. Yeah. And yeah, so that's a lovely feeling. That's a, that's a lovely place to be. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm like, okay, so what's the next level? Like, if this is a computer game, <laughs> what's, what does the next level look like? You know? <laughs> So what about that um, that interaction with the audience uh, or improvising on stage? So you, you're working hard to decide what you're going to talk about. Yeah. And then that part of that goes out of the window because now you've got this this new information. Yeah. Are you, are you very structured normally or do you love the improvisational element of it? I'm generally I'm generally very structured. Mm. I like to know where I'm starting my set and where how i'm ending right those are those are the two main things like where am i how am i getting in and how am i getting out right, right? Mm-hmm. uh but one thing i've challenged myself to do more this year every time i gig is to be in the room and when i say that i mean when i get on stage don't just do the okay this is my opener and i'm gonna do this as my opener and then i'm gonna get into some jokes mm-hmm. it's like no just has something happened that i can pick up on as soon as i go in yeah. you know is there something that I can make note of or highlight that brings us all together as an audience? Yeah. So they know I'm here with them. They're here with me. We're all witnessing and experiencing this together. And now let's go on a ride. Yeah. So the improvisational side of performing is a great, it's a great thing. In my opinion, I, I love, I love that. I love yeah. when things happen spontaneously and it's just being able to pick up on them and run with them if they can add to the night. Right. And I think it's very important that I make that distinction also, because when I did Edinburgh last year, um, the venue that we had was a place called Burrito and Shake. Yeah. And so I did a split bill with my friend Thomas in Lockwood, mm-hmm. and we were in a basement of a burrito restaurant, and there were staff members that would come out with like cans of beans and all sorts of bits. <laughs> and you would just have to keep doing your jokes, right? You'd have to just like try and maintain uh, professionalism. And however, every now and then something would happen in the room mm-hmm. and you have to make a decision. If I bring everyone's attention to that, does it bring us together and create a laugh or does it just make everyone feel uncomfortable? Mm. Right. And I'm very particular. Like I, I have this thing where if there's a noise that's out of place or if something's happening, I can hone in on it mm. and it can bother me. I can actually get frustrated by it. Uh, and there were times when maybe that was happening and I would let my frustration show. Mm. And as a performer, you have to know whether you can win by addressing something yeah. or whether you're going to lose if you address it. Yeah. And sometimes you just have to let it go, stay in the pocket, keep delivering your jokes because just because it's bothering you, it doesn't mean that the audience are bothered by it. They might really be engrossed in what you're saying. Yeah. But if you then stop what you're saying to address the thing, you've taken everybody out of out of the zone. Yeah. Harder to bring them back into the zone. So that's why it's like you have to decide, is this something that will add to the night? Is this something that will add to the experience? Or is this just something that's bothering me? And I want to rant about it, but no one else cares, you know? <laughs> so you've got to make that assessment, you know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the improv- improvising though, and just like, I think that's that's, a, that's where some of the best comedy is made. Um, and it's also great because it can only happen in that moment. Like, it's not going to happen again yeah. 
the next time you go on stage, it might happen differently, you know, but that, the way it happened in that moment, in that way, that's specific, yeah. you know. And and similarly on that point, um, what about hecklers, people who are deliberately uh, subverting the, the, the show and stopping the momentum and, you know, do you like to address <laughs> it? I have seen some comics who like yeah. abandon their entire 20 minute set and spend the whole time talking about one comment that a member of the audience has made. You know, is that the sort of thing that you, you'd like to engage in? Uh, well, you know, I'll be honest with you. You might be surprised by this or you might not, but I haven't had many hecklers <laughs> in my time of doing comedy. And I haven't. And that's not an invitation to anyone who's listening to this podcast <laughs> to come to any of my gigs and heckle. Yeah. Um, but any heckles that I have had, mm. I actually have been able to deal with them, but I like to deal with them and then move on. Right. I like to I like to deal with it and then move on. And the reason why is because the audience are there to see a show. Mm. They're, they're there to have a good, no, they're there to have a good time. They're there to laugh. I think if you come to a comedy club, the agreement is that you're there to laugh. Mm. You're there to have a good time. Uh, and to be taken away from whatever it is that you're thinking about on the in the outside world, right? Yeah. And if I if I give too much attention to one person or to a heckler, if I if I win that exchange, but I keep going back to it or I keep using it for more uh, material, mm. then the audience might get bored. They might get tired. And it's important to judge that. It's important to know whether or not they're on board with you hmm. or if they're actually now feeling as though you're just having a conversation between you and one other person and they're left out, Yeah, you know? So uh, again, I think it comes back to that thing of, is the interaction going to be a win for you or a loss? And if someone heckles and you have a good comeback or you have a little in brief interaction, hmm. it gets everyone laughing and then it deals with it. Yeah. I think the best thing to do from there is get right back into your set. Yeah. You know, whereas if you give them too much attention, then sometimes you could be empowering them to keep talking and to keep heckling yeah. and to feel as though they're actually helping. <laughs> That's the weirdest one. When people come up to you afterwards and they're like, I, 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 that was me who shouted that out. I just thought I'd help you out, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> All right, who, what? Help me. You think that you think that's helpful? Like, no, man. So, uh, so yeah, I think it's important to deal with it. Yeah. Uh, and then keep it moving. That's that's my opinion. But you know, each to their own. <laughs> and you got you got to play the situation. Also, you got to play the situation. So, yeah. 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 One of the things I like about your performance is that you're very joyful in the moment on the stage. You just have a delight at being there and performing, um, which is very very evident in your in your performance. I mean, are you mindful of that going on stage? Are, are you playing a character on stage? How much of you is are we seeing? Well, first things first, thanks for that, man, because I, I don't always know how I come across. <laughs> and often the way I'm presenting on stage probably isn't necessarily the way I'm feeling inside. Sure. I think sometimes, uh, you know, you could be having a bad day, you could be feeling down. But I've always looked at a gig as it's a bit of a sanctuary. And there have been times when I have been feeling really low. But the moment I get on stage and you get, you know, you 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 manage to hear that laughter yeah. and you are in that moment of actually just being in your element, there's an energy that hits you. And I think it does help you to get over things, you know, mm. and to to get over, to get out of your own head. 
I spend way too much time in my own head and performing allows me to get out of it for a brief period of time. Right. So I guess to answer that question, you know, I think the person on stage is enjoying themselves mm. and they are happy to be there and they want you to be happy. They want to make you happy. Mm. Um, but also they, that person on stage might also be uh, just escaping a little bit from what really is going on in their head right. and the pressures that they put on themselves. You know, I think that's, that's probably the, the, the truth really is it's a bit of escapism. Mm. Uh, and maybe it's also a representation of who I would like to be. You know, I, I want to be that guy who's joyful, yeah. who's smiling, who's positive, um, who's engaging. Yeah. I, I, I endeavor to be that person as much as I can. And so on stage, it's a perfect place for me to be that. Mm. And then I just try to carry that on in the rest of my life. You know, yeah. and I'm not always successful, <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I try. Yeah. So you talked about um, kicking off comedy proper mid 2019. And then, of course, within a yeah. matter of months. What a time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A very, very, very short time later, then uh, the opportunity to do so waned somewhat with lockdown. So yeah. how was your lockdown experience? Were you able to do uh zoom gigs were you able to perform in, in a field i mean how, how did how did you get on <laughs> oh man uh i did i did nothing <laughs> I, did, I did nothing and looking back on it i feel like that was such a missed opportunity it was right, okay. i didn't i didn't want to do zoom gigs i didn't feel like I'd get anything from them. You know, I, I just felt like, ah, oh, Zoom gigs, ah. Oh. But looking back on it, I remember actually it was a conversation I had with Sakisa. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, she was telling me how she really excelled during that period of time because she could do Zoom gigs. She could have literally her notes right next to her, like post-it notes just right all around her computer. Yeah. Like it, it kept you in the game you know it kept that muscle working right and i just let that muscle like properly lose all of its strength and i didn't it got so bad that i didn't even think i was going to do comedy anymore i got to a stage where i was like i don't think i'm going to do this anymore and i remember going to a park to do a gig or to watch a gig and i could have got up to perform but i was just so nervous i was just so like crippled by the idea of of bombing or like not feeling as though i had it in me right and uh so yeah so the lockdown period was very tough but once clubs started opening again Mm. i started going and then you see other comedians on stage and again it's that thing of oh i i i remember doing this (laughs) like i I, this is i actually like doing this like i should i should do this Mm. and it was just a case of getting back on stage and you know, I actually wrote, I wrote some, I wrote new material during that, a little bit of new material. And cause I felt like I had something to go and do. I had a reason mm-hmm. to get out of the house and go to a, a comedy club. And so it, it all came back to me. It all came back to me. And I'm so glad that it did. Yeah. Uh, because I've had some really great experiences following on from the pandemic. Mm. And uh, had I not got back, got back into comedy then, yeah, I, I don't know. Obviously, I wouldn't have had those experiences, and and that's 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 sad. So yeah, yeah. 
But it was a tough time. Very, very tough time, you know? Yeah. I feel bad because you've asked me so many questions and I have not thrown anything back at you, man. Like, how, <laughs> how, but how was that for you? If there's ever a moment for me to ask a question of you, like, how, how was that period for you? Because I know you go to so many gigs, you know, you're really, um, you're a comedy lover, you know, what, what was yeah. it like? Um, well, I, I like to look at the, on the plus side and the plus side was that I got to see comedy from all around the world. People I wouldn't otherwise be able to see yeah. performers in New Zealand, Australia, America, because of Zoom. I had that suddenly had a connection with the outside world to comedy that I, like I say, I wouldn't have been able to see otherwise. So on the plus side, mm. there's that. It's very different. There's, there is zero energy, literally, in, the, in where I live. <laughs> there's no, <laughs> there's no energy in the room where I am. Uh, yeah. But so, if you want to go into, uh, if you go into into a room and you're you're connected to all these people with laughter, then that's mm. that's the energy is what you want from a live from a live show. The the energy the comedian gets yeah. and, and that you get from each other. Hundred percent. Obviously, you don't get that with Zoom, but you do get opportunity to hear different voices. Yeah, I like to think that people who couldn't see comedy otherwise because of accessibility or time, mm. uh, you know, not being able to get to shows, were then able to do shows. Yeah, you know, and I suppose from the comedian's perspective, they could do a gig, and then you can just dial out, dial in, and do another gig, which would have been a hundred miles away, and instantly, and then yeah. at the end, you don't have to get home. Because you just close the laptop, and you know, but... 100%. I think for comedians who you know have been going for years and probably you know been doing the road up and down the motorways, that mm. period was probably a godsend. Whereas, yeah. like for me, <laughs> I, I was still in that phase of comedy where I loved getting out and about, I wanted to go to the gig, I wanted to stick around afterwards and have yeah. it and talk, and it was the whole sociable element. Uh, yeah. which which does wane after a while. Like, there's no denying. You do get to a stage <laughs> with comedy where you're like, all right, I've written these. I need to see if these jokes work. I'm going to do these jokes. I'm going to say bye. I'm going home. You know, you do get to that stage. <laughs> yeah. um, but when the pandemic hit, I was definitely not at that stage. I was very much still a social butterfly. Um, <laughs> just out of interest, not to hijack all the questions, but was there any comics... Were there any comics that you that you got to know uh, through seeing their comedy during the pandemic that you hadn't heard of that that you would recommend? Anyone that kind of like um, comes to mind? Um, well, the one that really sticks out in my head is Erica Rhodes, who is uh, uh, American. Mm. She recently supported Bill Burr, so oh wow, you know she's <laughs> she's um, she's she's quite some. She's got a very calm demeanor, very expressive. Um, I think she's fantastic. I'd love to see her. She's constantly touring in the US. She hasn't been to England, I don't think. But that was someone I wouldn't have known about if I hadn't been on Zoom. Erica Rhodes. Erica Rhodes, yeah. I'll check her out. Just making a note. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there we go. We're talking about comedians that we like to see. And you talked about going out to see comedians after lockdowns were lifted. So do you still go and watch live comedy? Is that still something you can watch as an entertainment? Or does the comedian brain take over? No, I still I still very much um, love watching live comedy. But mm. the comedian brain does sometimes take over. However, mm. what I find is if I'm watching a comic that I really like... Mm -hmm. uh, and someone who I would class as uh, inaccessible, someone who like, you know, a, a comedian who's like stratospheric or they, you know, they're, they're on TV, they've done specials. Yeah. Then I find myself to be more fully engrossed. Right. And not trying to pick apart what they're doing and how they're structuring their material. Yeah. And, you know, because it feels like they don't feel like competition. 
right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they don't feel like competition. They feel they're in another playing field to me, right? They're, 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 so, and this is something where I didn't want to admit this to myself, mm. but the reality is that it is competition. You know, like the biggest competition you're going to have is with yourself, right? right. To, to put in the time, the energy to get better. That's always going to be the toughest hurdle. Yeah. But there's so many comics. There's so many people doing comedy. Yeah. And the people who are your peers or that you may have started at the same time as, or they started a little bit before or after you, or, you know, even if there's give like a year or two either way. Yeah. They are your competition. We're all vying for spots and for recognition and yeah. etc. Yeah. So I find that if I go to a gig and someone who is, you know, within that that kind of sphere, that, yeah. that realm of like, I find <laughs> that I might sit there and actually like look at their material more. I like think, hmm, so I see what you did there. Okay, that's interesting structure. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right. rule of three. All right, yep, all right, cool. You know what I mean? Like, I might not not be critical, but I will be more deconstructive. Right. Because I'm like, okay, I just want to see how they're doing stuff. And then it's like, <laughs> do I do that? Is that something I need to work on? Do I need to get stronger in this area of my performance <laughs> and my writing? So that's what it's like. But yeah, I, I'll still go to live comedy though. I'm actually looking forward to June. I'm going to see Neil Brennan, mm -hmm. uh, who's a comic that I really have liked for a very long time. So I'm going to see his show. So yeah, I, I love, I still love yeah. it. I still love going to see live comedy. Nothing beats, nothing beats comedy live. It's, you know, in fact, no, that's a lie. <laughs> There are there are quite a few things that beat. <laughs> you know, I heard myself talking there a bit romantic, a bit too romantically about live comedy. Live comedy is great, but yes, there are some things that trumpet. Um, but it is great, and I still go and enjoy it. Yeah, I'm, that's never gonna stop. You know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I know you're getting ready for Edinburgh, aren't you? You've got uh, oh, yeah. shows you're going to see. Yeah. Oh. I was starting to spreadsheet all, obviously, it's always a spreadsheet, yeah. all the gigs I could get to. And it's like, oh, you, you haven't got enough lines on this spreadsheet. You need to add another <laughs> thousand lines. There's not enough time, not, not enough hours in any day to see all the shows I want to see. I, I, mean, hear you. I should say thank you so much, though, for coming to our show, uh, Aardvark, uh, at the last Edinburgh. I really appreciate it. Yes. Really kind of you. Yeah. I've never been to the basement of a burrito sh shop before, so it's <laughs> there. You go. No, it was a it was a great show. I really enjoyed it. But yeah, uh, you were fantastic, and Thompson, of course. Mm. Um, so let's talk about Edinburgh. Then, what's your what was your festival experience? How were you, at the end of the month were you exhausted? At the beginning, you were so full of bright eyed optimism. But I mean, how <laughs> you know, I was only there for ten days, and uh, our split bill was for seven. Mm. and by the end of it i was i was drained i remember and also <laughs> it was partly because they had the the rubbish strike yes. in edinburgh yeah. so they weren't collecting the rubbish and after a while that really started to get me down mm. you you're surround when your surroundings aren't clean it has an impact on on you and it definitely had an impact on me mentally like i was like this isn't nice this isn't pleasant mm. so that wasn't great uh, but I just remember kind of like sitting down on the side of the road on the very last night I was in Edinburgh and there was a party somewhere uh, that I got invited to. And I was just like, no, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going home. 
I'm gonna have a, a good night's sleep and yeah. get my train back to London tomorrow. So yeah, uh, very tiring, but it's a great place because you get to see so much comedy and you get mm. to do so much comedy. And you know, I love that everyone. So there's so much creativity and there's an energy. Mm. And uh, I haven't been to many comedy festivals in my life. Mm. I imagine that there's a lot more out there, and they do also have that same energy. Mm. It was fantastic. It was fantastic. It's like a accelerator for your comedy ability, you know, yeah, yeah. to be in a, in a space like that. So, I'm looking forward to going back again this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm 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 solo this year. I'm doing a work in progress. Yeah, uh, and uh, we'll see. We'll see what what debuting next year looks like. But I'm <laughs> trying to put together a, a show at the moment. So that's a yeah, that's a challenge in itself. And what is it that you're going to be talking about in your show? So my show is uh, the working title at the moment is Mr. Nice. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a bit of a play on the idea that I'm a nice guy because I-, I seem to have developed a reputation amongst a lot of people in comedy that I am a nice guy, right? <laughs> and I'm not I'm not neither confirming nor denying this information. <laughs> but, but I always think like, it's not really for you as an individual to tell people what type of person you are. It's just for you to be who you are and for others to judge, right? right. So the, the show is kind of like an exploration into whether or not I am Mr. Nice, you know? <laughs> uh, and so that's what it is. It's kind of like just looking at me, my upbringing, my characteristics, you know, my background, yeah. uh, my experiences, uh, all obviously in a comedic way. Yeah. Uh, but then kind of posing the question of of what is what is it to be nice? And, you know, am I, am I Mr. Nice? Yeah. Uh, or not, you know, and uh, maybe <laughs> maybe that's one for the audience to decide. <laughs> so yeah, so that's the concept. Yeah, uh, I'm working on it at the moment, and uh, yeah, I- I'm looking forward to to making it into something. You yeah. know, well, I'm looking forward to seeing it in Edinburgh. Oh, I love Let's see how we do. <laughs> see, we'll see what the conclusion we come to is. We'll see. Twelve forty-five, <laughs> Cannon Gate. Uh, PBH, free fringe. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cannons Gate is a great venue. Yeah. So you were talking um, a minute ago about people who you are in competition with. So let's talk competition. So mm. uh, 2022, last year, you were runner up for top of the bill at the Natties. And uh, yep, yep. You, did, uh, you did well also at Two North Down. So yeah. how, do, how are competitions for you? What's that experience like? Well, competitions have been a little bit um, hit and miss. I mean, <laughs> I always find it strange going into a comedy competition mm. because oh, comedy is really subjective. Yeah. Like, so there's so many different people have different sense of humor and people have different joke structure and we're all talking about such different things. Yeah. So uh, you can only go in and, and do what you deem is your best. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 90s was a great experience. Mm-hmm. You know, I was very, very happy to, to place in that competition. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I lost out to Vigo Venn. <laughs> a very, uh, very uh, different comedian. A very different comedian. Oh, exactly. <laughs> um, but no, he's a, he's a great guy, a really funny guy. Um, so, yeah. And then with Two North Down, that was a good experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I think um, I think with competitions, you've got to keep putting yourself in the conversation. Right. And I think it is a good uh, measure of the industry to some degree. Because a lot of these competitions have industry judges. Mm. So if you get to a final of a competition where there's industry judges, then you can take, even if you don't win, you can take from it that you have something that the industry 
is potentially looking for mm. that the industry is tipping their hat towards yeah. and you could take from that that you're on the right path mm. uh but ultimately my mentality around competitions is that comedy is such a long game mm-hmm. and competitions can definitely put you in the spotlight they can help agents see you um they can help you get in touch with more bookers mm-hmm. you know and they can accelerate your progression in terms of getting into the right rooms and getting gigs that are going to propel you into you know better better stratospheres mm-hmm. um but with that being said there's also still so much work to be done and if you don't place in a competition or you don't get through in a competition yeah. that's never a sign that you're either gonna make it or not gonna make it yeah. likewise winning a competition or placing in a competition doesn't mean that you're gonna make it or not gonna make it yeah it, it really is a case of continuing to be in the mix and continuing to work and to try and endeavor to get better and it is hard yeah. it is hard you know there's i'd be lying if i said to you there haven't been times that I've thought, like, why have I even chosen create? Like, what? I don't think you choose though. I think creativity kind of chooses you in a way. You know, I like sometimes I wish I was, I wish I could just do a job, <laughs> yeah, and come home and and like turn on the TV and that's it, and I'm happy. You know, like I wish I, I wish I could just do that. I wish sometimes I do wish I could just like you know clock in, clock out, come home, relationship maybe have some kids, watch TV, <laughs> grow old, you know, <laughs> die and be happy. <laughs> right. That sounds like a much more simple existence mm. that is achievable. There's a pathway for it. I can see exactly how I could do it. But instead, <laughs> in, instead, you know, I'm traveling to the far flung places in the UK by coach or car and I'm doing a 10 minute set and then you drive back and sometimes you might get paid. Sometimes you don't, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, but, but I don't know whether, and yes, it is a choice. Everything is a choice, yeah. but, uh, but I don't think I would get the same level of life satisfaction without trying to reach my potential in this endeavor. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I, I keep I keep going. But there are times when you doubt and you wake up and you think, is it, you know, is it going to happen? What is it Yeah. even, yeah. you know, what is it? Will you get to a stage where you achieve the things that you wanted and then you look back and you realize it didn't mean as much as you thought it did? Like, yeah. are you putting your attention and your emphasis into the right things in life? Mm-hmm. Uh all of these are questions that, that fly through your head on, on this journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even with that being said, I just, I can't be any other way. Yeah. And there's something that keeps calling you to keep going. And, you know, I think the people who get somewhere are the ones who can listen to that voice long enough. Yeah. Because it can get quiet. Like <laughs> that, that voice can start to get a bit quiet at times. Mm. And you can, st- or you can stop listening to it. And it's the people who keep listening to it. that I think see, see something from this whole endeavor, mm. you know, yeah. uh, I don't even remember what the question was. It took me that <laughs> but, but that's, that's a bit of introspection for you there, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
what are the key lessons learned then? What philosophies have you developed so far? Uh, from comedy or just life in general? <laughs> <laughs> well, life as related to comedy. What are, the, what are things you must do and not do as a comedian? Well, I think I think comedy actually teaches you quite a lot about life, and um, mm. and if you if you're willing to to pay attention, mm-hmm. um, it teaches you a lot about yourself, but it can teach you a lot about life. So, one of those biggest lessons is keep trying. Mm. You know, like keep trying. You're gonna fall flat on your face. Um, you, you're gonna have moments when you question if you're good enough it's going to happen. But then equally, you're going to have moments when you come off stage and you think, killed that. You know what I mean? <laughs> and you'll have people coming up to you saying, that was amazing. Oh, you're destined for big things. <laughs> right? you, you'll have all of these, <laughs> these ra- this range of emotions. So it's like, keep trying. Um, yeah. Keep putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. Uh, you know, I got offered a gig recently and my first impulse was to say no to it. Mm. because I've done a gig similar and it didn't go well. And, but then I said, no, I, I, if I say no, I prove nothing to myself. I learn nothing. If I say yes, then I might just learn something. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be difficult, but Hey, say yes and see what happens. So the idea of, of, to be, to, to keep trying to be resilient, you know, Mm. um, to be playful, I think is, a really, really great lesson from comedy. Mm. Because if you start to take it all too seriously, and if you start to take your material too seriously, and if you get stuck in a box with all the things that you've done that work, and you just keep going back to that well and saying the same thing over and over again, then you can limit yourself and you can stagnate. You have to be willing to be silly. Because that's what comedy is. It's silly. It's you like, how ridiculous can you be? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, how much can you exaggerate something? How much can you heighten it? Um, and to be willing to keep doing that and to keep trying things. Yeah. Because that's where magic can happen, you know? Mm. And so, yeah, like, and these are lessons for life. You know, these are lessons for life to try stuff. Yeah. Don't don't box yourself in. Try stuff. Be 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 interesting. Be weird. Be silly. Yeah. And uh, and see what comes. You know. Yeah. And there's loads more. I mean, I'm sure I could sit here and go through. <laughs> I could honestly sit here and go through all the things that I've probably discovered. You know, from yeah. this process of doing comedy. Uh, but um, those are definitely a couple. Yeah. So tell me then about what's been your best and worst moments so far. Mm. Best moment. Worst moment. Mm. Mm. let's finish on a positive so i'll tell you the worst moment first yeah uh i think the worst moment that keeps recurring in my mind that i think about more often than not Mm. is um going first i went first at a gig uh it was like um a clash like africa versus the caribbean one of those kind (laughs) of gigs and i went first and I swear, man, I just, I stunk that place out, man. <laughs> I stunk it out, man. I know every comedian has a story like this. Yeah. But it was just one of those moments where you could literally, I couldn't get off stage quick enough. Like, it, I, there was all of it. It felt like pulling teeth. Yeah. It was just, it was horrible. And the thing is, I was coming off the back of a really good gig. I think I had actually got through to like the semi final of British Comedian of the Year. 
Mm-hmm. So I was I was actually feeling quite confident. And within like two minutes, man, I just it's like all the <laughs> air got just knocked out of me. And I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like this is this is crazy. Wow. So that was that was a that was one gig where it's like that was tough but it taught you know i learned i learned something you know like i say you, you learn something from those yeah. you know be try and be as prepared as you can like try and you know but that was a tough one mm. and then i'd say best moment um best moment was one of the best moments in comedy so far um i'd say the best moment was performing uh okay so technically <laughs> opening for Dave Chappelle. Yeah, I, yeah, go. <laughs> I don't know technically, but like it was a gig uh, at Backyard. It was Cole Joe's Comedy Funhouse. Mm-hmm. And Dave Chappelle was uh, passing through to headline the gig. And I opened it. I was the first act on stage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember prepping for that 10 minute set as though I was prepping for a competition. You know, yeah. like. <laughs> I had every segue, every joke, exactly how I was starting. I knew exactly how I was ending. It was like, (laughs) I prepped that so tight because I was like, if there's any day where I have to be on point, it's today. (laughs) I like, Chappelle wasn't there to see me perform, but to know that like I stood on the same stage as him, held the exact same microphone as him, yeah, you know, and performed right there against that backyard backdrop. Yeah, uh, that's one of the best moments I've had in comedy, and yeah, that's that's gonna live with me for a long time. Uh, yeah. And that's why you gotta take the rough with the smooth yeah. because you're gonna have days that are terrible, but equally you're gonna have days where you pinch yourself. You know? <laughs> Roman, how can we find out about where you're playing? How can we find out about you? Uh, well, you can find me online. Uh, I might need to change my handle because uh, <laughs> I like it, but people always spell it wrong. Uh, but my handle online is uh, Hardy Ha Ha. <laughs> That's H A R D Y H A A H A A. Right. Um, but I think I might have to change that at some point and make it something that's a lot easier for people to get. Um, but yeah, you can just follow me online on Insta, Twitter. Um, uh tiktok and you know upcoming shows i always post them there i'm gonna have to design a website Mm -hmm. for myself at some point because i think that's uh that's still relevant to some degree so i'll sort that out at some point (laughs) Uh, but yeah that's the best place to find me and and come along to a gig i got a couple of work in progress shows that are coming up in june and july and uh hopefully i'll see you out of them yeah um so finally the last question i always ask roman can you please sum up what is comedy in a nutshell uh what is comedy in a nutshell comedy in a nutshell is mm-hmm. taking this crazy thing we call life and making it funny that's it <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all it is it's, it's this crazy thing that we've been given that we don't even understand yeah and trying to make some sense of it by laughing at it that's it <laughs> That's what it is to me. 
Robert, thank you so much for talking to me. It's been absolutely brilliant. Appreciate it. Uh, uh, thank you, man. I've really, I've really enjoyed it, and uh, I love what you're doing. I mean, please, I, like I said, I gave you your flowers before we started recording, didn't I? But, <laughs> but lo- love the podcast. I think it's a really well put together show. I'm, I'm honoured to be on it. So thank you so much for having me. 